Welcome to Riveting Broads, a podcast for women to riff on what matters most. We're your hosts, Jackie Richard and Molly Maluzzi. And we found that the conversations in media and politics are too often about women instead of with them. And uh, we plan to change that. From thoughts on vulnerability, identity, privilege, culture, gender, sexuality, and everything in between, we're here to talk about it all. Join us. Welcome back to Riveting Broads. Today we're joined by Rosario Uviera Minaya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's an Afro-Latina activist, um, executive director of Amplify Latinx, and the owner of Cojuelos Productions. Um, her work with Amplify Latinx focuses on leadership development within the Latinx community, and Cojuelos Productions, um, which it sounds like has an interesting origin story, is uh, focused on creative empowerment through the arts. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a excitement for me to be able to participate in this podcast. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thing I know Jackie and I are still starstruck by everyone who comes in here. So the fact that you're grateful to be here, we really appreciate right? it. It's humbling to know that you're grateful to be here. Oh my God, I couldn't miss it for the world. So thank you for inviting me. So in terms of direction for today's topic, we have, as always, <laughs> lots. Yes, it's kind of open-ended, but you know, we started dissecting with Rosario what her experience has been, you know, in the Latinx community coming from the DR and um, just the, the many um, evolutions of thought process and code switching that she has to deal with on a regular basis, but not just you everyone mm-hmm. everyone around you right 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 and it has been just a, a roller coaster for me in terms of my identity because as you mentioned i came from the dominican republic and if you hear my accent um in the dr we speak spanish um i came here directly to salem from the dr which at that time was not common uh that was back in 1992 so oh, okay. now you kind of like can figure out my age. Uh, <laughs> I came here with my family and um, and I was only 15 years old. So kind of like half of my life in the DR, half of my life here. And um, just, you know, um, comparing those two experiences and trying to make sense of my life here has been has been very interesting. Come, having spent half your life in Dominican Republic and coming to Salem, what was that like? Oh, my God. That was, um, you know, it was kind of like... Um, a complete transformation because my life in the in the Dominican Republic was completely different from what um, we came to face here mm-hmm. um, over there I have told my story many times in different settings and every time I tell it, it something different comes out but uh, <laughs> but the meat of the of the experience was that um, I grew up in a very sheltered kind of like um, upper middle class um, you know, upbringing in uh, in the DR. Both of my parents were professionals. My my mom was a very well known fashion designer. She owned her own label and um, had her own factory. So she was like, you know, a revolutionist in many different ways. Um, and she and she was very empowering to to women in the DR. And my dad ran. Uh, he was the director of the, um, the mayor, like the the main newspaper in the country. So they were very like active in the community, but also like very um, well known professionals. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we grew up, my brothers and I, in a very comfortable um, environment. And uh, we went to private school and have like all the nice things. And like we we didn't 
really understand that there was another world outside of that experience um, that many Dominicans were living. Like we were very sheltered and in a way very naive. Um, So um, when uh, we were um, around the 90s, late 80s, beginning of the 90s, the country went through an economic turmoil. Mm -hmm. And... um, and many people, um, you know, uh, banks were, um, you know, the economy collapsed and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people lost uh, a lot, a lot of money. Um, so my parents were into that group of people. My, my dad invested most of um, the, his life savings in a uh, resort, in a hotel. And um, it was um, when all of that happened, it was within the year that they opened the hotel. So um, they lost everything um, and um, and we needed to get out. Like my dad was almost suicidal. Like mm. He was ready to give give it up and, and, um, and was like very discouraged. So my mom moving quickly, she's like, okay, let's get him out. Uh, let's take a break, rebuild kind of like, like not only um, financially, but really uh, emotionally. Let's let's get out of this environment, and uh, we'll come back in a year from now. So for my brothers and I, it was just another vacation. Like mm-hmm. we were used to traveling to other places, and uh, we were not very aware of what was going on. My parents weren't very open and honest about that. They just wanted to kind of like protect us from that situation. And they say, okay, we're just going to go and visit grandma. Okay, perfect. Um, And my my grandmother was living in Salem at that time. They came from New York and and were here. um, And and that's how we end up here. Um, So that was over a summer. And then when it was uh, late August, kind of like beginning of September, and we were ready to go back, they were like, well, guess what you're staying it's like like we never had a chance to say goodbye to anybody uh, to really like uh, have closure and um, and also like all of our stuff like our personal things like were um, back in the country so we, we were here just with our luggage for like a, a summer vacation so um, so that was interesting <laughs> and uh, with that transition right away you know we were enrolled in school uh, we went to Salem High School, uh, and then we were living in subsidized housing. Um, and um, for that, uh, so we came for a, again for a vacation. So we we came with a tourist visa. After six months, between six months and a year, if you overstay, right away your your visa is revoked and you are basically undocumented. Mm-hmm. So uh, from living a completely different life and having kind of like certain status in the Dominican Republic, we came here and le- in less than a year, we are undocumented. And we are like living under the table, basically like hiding from our situation. Oh my God. So that happened. Um, and how old are you at this point? 15. Wow. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, talk about trauma. Yeah. That's, that's you had the, your whole life. Your, the rug is ripped right under out from underneath you and not not blaming your parents because it sounds like they they were doing what was best yeah. for their family and exactly. for them but as a 15 year old 
I can't imagine the emotional turmoil that must have created for you of like your life changing overnight. Oh yeah, it was very tough. It was very difficult. Um, luckily, my family, like we are very close um, and I'm very close with my brother. He's um, the artist. We can talk about that crazy guy another time. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we, we are very close in age. So we kind of like bonded over that as well. We have an older brother, two years older than my brother that stay behind because he was studying um, college. So he's like okay I'm, I'm already ready to start my first semester in college um, and you guys are coming back so you know um, we just uh, he he stayed in housing um, in in college back in the Dominican Republic um, so we kind of like bonded with my parents around that experience when we realized what was really happening like we supported our parents but it was very difficult that transition not only because i was transitioning as a as a human being like i was i was a 15 year old trying to figure out who i was uh and at the same time like i was taken out of my environment my comfort zone and um started a new life a completely new life in a completely new like different um structure that was that was very difficult what was so when you traveled from the dominican to here what was your language comprehension at that point for english very limited because you know i um in school you learn kind of like the basics Mm -hmm. but you don't practice it like there's no conversation um so i could pick up some stuff but um but not really a lot so when i um when i when i was enrolled in at salem high school uh like I couldn't understand most of you know the conversations but I could understand kind of like subjects the subjects in school because I had a really strong foundation sure. on those subjects so um I didn't really struggle with my academics but I struggled with the language and yeah. I still do today like I'm learning every day so, yeah. yeah it's just amazing to me how I mean people say when you're when you're very young to learn a language it's easier than when you're older but to have even just a minor foundation and then just sort of be thrown in uh, we talked a little bit before this but um, when you have a lot of American students have the privilege of going abroad and if you choose a country that isn't in your native language you um, have an opportunity to really take it take that experience that sort of condensed period of time to mm-hmm. be immersed mm-hmm. in a language and you do you learn mm-hmm. it much qu- quicker than you would otherwise however the stakes are not even remotely as high as someone having to leave their country, come to a new place, unplanned, of mm-hmm. un- unaware perhaps in your situation with your parents, and then to have to grapple with language that is now the predominant language and you're you're not going anywhere and you need to educate yourself. I mean, it's just fascinating right. to me and you're saying it very humbly, but I'm the idea of being in that situation as people who a big part of what we talk about in riveting broads is that we're ultimately we are so sheltered in so many ways and jackie and i are not the same person um we have lots of different lived experiences our backgrounds are different in a lot of ways but there's also some synergies in terms of you know upper middle class white people um in (laughs) in privilege yeah aka absolutely and so when when I think about having someone like you on who has a lived experience, and we haven't even gotten to your career yet, which is, ladies and gentlemen, sit down. I hope you're not driving. She's <laughs> impressive. Um, but no, it, to, to, we had a, um, an episode recently um, with a woman named Christine Armstrong, and we talked about how women of color 
have to work twice as hard as white women to reach success. And we talked about the sort of the dynamics of of shame and defensiveness that come along with that on both sides. And I think about something that I think people especially in our horribly polarized world that we're in right now um, with, and we, and I don't want to assume your politics, but we talk on this podcast a lot about, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Trump, (laughs) Uh, not a fan. That's an understatement of, of the century. But the point being is that there's such a, a racial, a racially charged element to our world at the moment. And the idea of you in a climate that was, was just as racially charged, just not as overt in the, media and government as it is today, when you were 15, to have to then build a life for yourself in a place that you hadn't been before. I'd be curious to learn more from you about how you how you brought yourself into new settings, how you inserted yourself into the zeitgeist in a way that not necessarily in all scenarios was unwelcoming to you, but perhaps wasn't it wasn't traditional to have mm-hmm. someone like you have a voice there. Yeah, um, well, I would say at that time, when I first came, because it was a shock for me, um, sure. I was very, very quiet all the time and very removed. Like for the first two years um, in my, my time here, especially through my experience in high school, I wasn't who I, like who I am today, of course. Like I was very, very, um, um, you know, very conserved, kind of like quiet and, and, and shy, and I wasn't interacted with many people because, especially because of the language barrier. Mm. Um, I think it was, that it was that component that really made me feel most uncomfortable because I had so much to say mm. and uh, so so many things to relate to, but I, I felt that I didn't have uh, the skills to 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 really say it and Absolutely. have that conversation or the confidence to, That's to yeah, yeah come up and, and, and have those conversations. But I will say that at that time, my experience as um, Afro-Latina coming into uh, the high school system, the educational system in, in Salem, um, that wasn't as structured or as diverse as it is today, I could relate better to the white experience than to my Latinx uh, counterparts mm. because um, I came from a background in the DR where most of my experiences were um, you know kind of like privilege right. so I could like I could relate to the music that the white uh, students were listening to or some of the things that they were doing in terms of traveling and other stuff so I felt that I didn't belong in any setting because mm. with the uh, with the white um, students I you know, they didn't see me as one of them, and I couldn't really talk to them. And with my uh, la- Latino community, um, I also came from a part of the country that is the city, uh, Santo Domingo. And then most of the um, Dominican students around uh, the school at that time were coming from a completely different region. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over there, like, uh, it's kind of like rivals, like, oh, she comes from the from the city, she's not like us. Mm. So, you know, for, for a couple of years, I struggled with all of that. So it was just very interesting. But at the same time, it made me really um, help me go through understanding who I was mm. and, and connecting to my Dominican roots better, and really trying to kind of like understand, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from the same country and the same culture let's kind of like let's let's try to find a way of, of relate to each other because I'm just like you yeah. so um, but it, it, um, it helped me to really um, 
kind of like look inside myself and understand why they were viewing me that way and what were some of the things that were preventing us from connecting. And with the white students it was more about like okay you know let's figure this out let's let's you know there's so many things that I, that we can we're all you know, kids yeah uh, so so it was more me mm-hmm. trying to kind of like um take the courage to to do that and make mistakes and be comfortable with that um and and uh and it's like music to my ears yeah, yeah but it takes me <laughs> and the risks are I higher made a lot of mistakes <laughs> and, and the risks are high especially when everything is magnified when you're 15 mm-hmm. um but I, the you also don't have an option and that's something that um is a point of privilege for someone like myself who um you know can turn it on or turn it off. Um, oh, for our listeners, I speak Spanish. Um, but <laughs> like, I went to school. Oh, thank you. But um, but the point is, is I'm not going to Beto work this right now. Sorry, Beto. <laughs> Beto, I respect you, but come on. No, um, the But the big um, challenge, I think, is that we have the privilege of talking about this experience from like an like an almost an anthropological point mm-hmm. of view and i can be like this is how a young dominican woman acts in the wild you know <laughs> like of high school and salem you know and i i am intrigued by your self-awareness and ability to sort of see that you were you could sort of code switch into different realms but the Mm -hmm. other thing you mentioned while we were all talking before the interview that i think also relates here is that how we as a as a society in the u.s um paint a broad stroke over the latinx community and we assume everyone who speaks spanish is coming from the same place you know relates to each other yeah they're all the same like the culture same and by the way i a hundred thousand percent don't feel that way and and know that that's not the case but there's this misunderstanding i think because you said you were connecting with the folks that spoke spanish it's not that all the people in your in your high school experience were dominican mm-hmm. you know there was mm-hmm. probably a large sort of puerto rican i mean i have my anyway i think that that sometimes is um something that people just distance themselves from because that would require work <laughs> they'd have to understand different cultures can you imagine <laughs> right. and that is really interesting yeah and um so so when i came here as well that was one of the experiences i had that uh, i understood okay oh, this, this is not just a dominican group um and uh, and that was very interesting and exciting at the mm-hmm. same time, because as Latinos, we come from so many different um, parts of Latin America, including the Caribbean. Um, and uh, with that, we bring a unique set of not only experiences and backgrounds, but a heritage mm-hmm. um, and a kind of like a mix of things. So um, when we come to this country and we are lumped into this Latino or Hispanic um, group, um, you know, uh, a lot of those differences and unique um, aspects of our experience get diluted yes um, and um, and it's important for us as Latinos to embrace that that we are different within our own group and really be open to um, you know to accept those differences mm-hmm. and uh, understand one another because part of the situation that we face in as a, as a community as a sector is that we are not very united and in part is because of those things because uh, within our own group we see uh, ourselves different one from the other like um 
you know, Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, we kind of like eat the same food. We come from very similar islands. We have very similar backgrounds, but uh, within our, our group, we see ourselves very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens with many other nationalities, if not all of them. Right. It's like culture clash within a community that is advocating for itself. I mean, that that creates a lot of turbulence, I'm guessing, that you have to work through before you can even begin to look at the overarching, okay, how do we activate all Latinx people in spite of our differences? But if you can't get past your differences, then you're. it seems like it's like... A constant battle, right? And but as a community, we're realizing that right. and saying like, if we don't get together um, and bring our power t- together, it's not we, we're not gonna get anywhere. Right. We're gonna That's get, a good stay stuck. Segue then yeah. to talk about a little bit, um, not a little bit, a lot mm-hmm. of it <laughs> about the Cojuelos Productions as well as the Amplify Latinx organization. Mm-hmm. I, I think. Perhaps the origin story of both of those would be helpful for our listeners and then to understand your mission. Do you have mission. enough time for that? <laughs> um, oh, yes. <laughs> we do. We have all the time in the world. Well, okay. So um, let's start with Cojuelos and how I ended up doing, um, you know, advocacy and uh, using arts as a tool for engagement in communities of color um, uh, and how that led to what I'm doing today and um, also Amplify Latinx. Um, So I came from the DR to live in the Point neighborhood. Um, I grew up in the Point. Um, Wait, just to cut you off for a second. For our listeners who aren't familiar with this area, the Point of Salem is, um, and I love the Point, I used to hang out there, which not to my My parents' dismay, (laughs) but um, it's, it's a wonderful place, but it also has a reputation for being not the best place to live mm-hmm. and maybe not the safest place to right. be. So I can talk about that. So mm-hmm. the point is historically that uh, immigrant neighborhood in Salem, Massachusetts, and uh, it has been uh, since it was founded. Um, it started with the mills and kind of like that period in Salem and in the North Shore and in Massachusetts where, um, you know, there were factories and mills and um, and uh, it started as a, uh, as a workers community. You know, it was just uh, mills for workers that uh, were coming from Canada, from like French Canadians. And um, eventually, you know, they were kind of like coming in uh, seasonally and going back uh, to Canada. And eventually they started to kind of settle here in Salem and um and started to um, have housing and have families and all of that and created a community. Uh, and then with the years, um, it transitioned into being Polish, um, some Germans, um, you know, a little bit of everything. And uh, back in the 80s and uh, 90s is when the Latinos, Hispanics were starting to come in. And, um, and uh, you know, now it's uh, predominantly Dominican and Puerto Rican. So it's, I would say 80% Dominican. Wow. Um, and so by the time I came here, uh, there were already uh, several families, Dominican families, that have been um, living in the point even since the late 70s. Uh, and most of them came um, because of, you know, opportunities with employment, especially with the fishing industry and restaurants and other things. Uh, so when my family came, uh, it was because already I, we have relatives here and um, we um, grew up in affordable housing um, and, um, and you know, stay kind of like living within the, the barriers of the neighborhood, which is not a very large area. 
Um, so when I was growing up there um, and going to already, you know, graduated from high school, um, attending Salem State University, um, I started a project um, working with the youth in the community um, doing murals. And, and it's, this project was all about empowering the youth and creating a space for them to express themselves. And uh, that, that project started in collaboration with what it was at that time, um, Salem Harbor CDC, which is the, um, the coalition or the uh, organization that manages affordable housing in the neighborhood. And I was um, a volunteer since I was in high school and uh, the opportunity came up with a really small amount of funding to do this, you know, small, tiny project. And I was um, the youth coordinator. And, uh, and so, but I grew up in a family of artists and art has been kind of part of my life forever. And I was like one of those kids that was passionate about uh, going into a museum and learning about heritage and all of those things and people thought that I was crazy. Uh, but that was something that was kind of like, um, that it was installed in me early on mm -hmm. uh, because my mom was an artist and uh, my uncle was an artist and, and, and Ruben, my brother, you know, showed signs of uh, creativity since <laughs> the beginning. Mm -hmm. So we all very uh, tuned into the arts. And, um, and so when that opportunity came up, um, the idea came up of like, providing a space for the for the youth in the community to express themselves through art. And what was surprising to me is that many of them have never had that opportunity before, mm -hmm. even through the school system. Um, so see, like really like- Wow. I'm like looking does, at her I know. with my eyes wide open. surprise me in that I think arts as a whole is deep. It's obviously as part of your movement, Randa's Hearth efforts, and other organizations that are similar. I I think people, my husband's, um, I don't know why I was going to say, my mother-in-law, I was going to say my husband's mother. Um, <laughs> she uh, it was an art teacher, and that was always, it always is just secondary. It was it was like, a, it was almost a luxury yeah. versus like an intrinsic part of a culture and a heritage and the expression within. Right. Yeah, and, and, and so, again, I didn't grow up like that. I had art supplies all over my house. You know, mm. we were lucky to, to have parents that understood that and also going through a school system that provided that for us. Mm -hmm. So when I came here and, and I saw these kids not being exposed to that, I was like, that's, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, so we started this project um, and the, um, the way I, I did it, like it was not very well planned. Um, I, so I was given access to a basement in the neighborhood in one of the buildings and uh, a small budget, I think it was $500 or something like that for the entire summer. And so with that, um, I got our supplies and I was able to kind of like talk to a, one of the pizza places and say, I want pizza for all these days. Uh, and then I put a big sign outside of the building saying free pizza. And kids started to come in looking for the following the pizza <laughs> and then when they came into the space uh they found all of these you know crayons and markers and uh art supplies and um what i did is that i made copies of different like uh famous paintings and other things and i put them brilliant. around the room brilliant and they started to look around and kind of like wonder and then i, I you know some of them they just come in and eat the pizza and, and uh left and then all uh, uh, but the next day they will come back with a friend. Mm 
mm. looking for pizza and then <laughs> showing colors and look at, look at this one I like this one and then this and that and then one thing led to another and we started to kind of like play with uh, shapes and other things and uh, we were able to um, contract a muralist that was working out of um, California at that time and he came over and um, and we started to, to talk about art um, as a as a you know as a tool again for for messaging and social justice and other yes. things and, and how can art can be a voice to a community so one thing led to another and we were able to produce with this uh, um, youth in the community um, three a series of three murals um, two of them are still up today and uh, and the first one that we did was kind of like um, in canvas so it wasn't attached to any building or anything like that um, but we took it around different places and sh to show what the kids um, worked on and to to see if we could fundraise for more sure. uh, you know supplies because we have nothing and pizza and, and yeah. pizza <laughs> that's very important and uh, so so that uh, that project uh, again produced this um, very interesting wonderful murals and the theme for them was like they really wanted like the kids i'm telling you kids of five years old were coming in between five and 21 i had like a whole array of you know ages and interests but they were all very thirsty not only to come together as a community but also to really tell the world about their experience they really wanted to tell the world that what my neighborhood is all about mm. because they felt that um you know kind of like um messaging or stereotype coming in to them that about this neighborhood is very dangerous um this neighborhood is kind of like the low class low income and with that comes all these negative things right. so um they they really um appreciated having a, a an opportunity to do that um so the the series was um the first one was um life in the no a family the family was the family unit and they wanted to really explain what family meant to them and uh and what was interesting You're about that design oh, my God. oh it's, it's like, like so close to my heart oh. um that design was like a tree with branches and the branches were you know the family members coming out and the really? grandma was the the trunk like oh, was the middle. that was so impressive and um it, but then so that it was rooted um, and the ground, but there were two sides to it. There was like the DR in Puerto Rico, and then the other side was the United States. And what was funny about that, the DR was all colorful, <laughs> <laughs> blues and greens and, and beautiful. Tropical kind of, yeah. And the DR was like gray and dark <laughs> in a building. <laughs> the Somebody US. really uh, told the story of how they felt, like what they saw and what they experienced. Yeah. Um, and then the second one that you can go and see today in the point uh, was Life in the Neighborhood. And that's it, it's on Congress Street. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's, that shows um, the neighborhood in a little bit more detail, a lot of iconic um uh, residents of the neighborhood are, are there. Um, they are playing dominance with who at that time was my fiance, and then um, now is my husband. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and there's like a, a, a car like being driven by uh, their favorite teacher, kind of like leading them to. So it's a beautiful piece. Um, and there's so much to, to to look at that piece. They they also included like famous musicians and other things. Like they wanted to really show what the culture in their day to day lives is all about. Mm -hmm. And then the third one, uh, which is on PPD Street, 
um, is um, you'll see buildings kind of like on the bottom and kids flying all over the place and trying to kind of like grab diff- different things. And what they're grabbing is their opportunities and, and kind Come of dreams. On. And they're leaving the neighborhood kind of Sadio. like It was like an amazing experience. What an incredible So, movie. but with that, I was only 19 when I did that. And oh, it's like, oh, of course we you were. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I was like, we need to do it again. I really like, oh, that was amazing. Let's find and another. you're in school, right? Yes. Like you're also in, like, yeah. Yeah, I was an enrolled. undergraduate yeah, uh, at Sun State, mm-hmm. thinking that I was going to do a career in journalism, mm-hmm. broadcast journalism. So that was my life. Um, so that time. was on the side, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it was just an amazing experience, and uh, and that Incredible. stays with me for many years. Um, and while I was trying to figure out who I was, and um, and also figure out where I wanted to go in terms not only, uh, you know, as a professional woman, but really with my life. Um, that really was like in the back of my head and in my heart for, for many, many years. And then I transitioned um, from, I, I went and worked for broadcast television. And then uh, one thing led to another and ended up at the PBD Essex Museum. Back in the neighborhood, because for me, the museum is like, in the backyard of my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and uh, and when I was in that uh, environment, um, that was like a life learning experience, coming in as a person of color to an institution that is historically uh, white and uh, it comes from in a, in a field that has been kind of like, it's like the colonizer's experience. Mm-hmm. We've talked mm-hmm. about Canon a mm-hmm. lot recently. Mm-hmm. So, and I came in as a as a young professional, kind of like starting my career, and um, and yeah, that experience there opened my eyes to many many different things. Not only mm-hmm. great opportunities, but also the struggles of being a, a, a young professional, a woman, minority of color. Um, so many different things coming from a low income background and and all of that. So, but my position there um, really created opportunities for bringing in. Um, a lot of diversity into the museum and that's why I decided to take on that that position because it was to run a program that offered internships and fellowships to students of color mm-hmm. uh, but with that a lot <laughs> happened uh, in that in that institution that I think um, opened the door to a lot of different honest and difficult conversations for the museum but at the same time a lot of like pain for the people that, like me, were in in the midst of it. Um, But um, we were able to develop in there um, not only uh, great uh, collaborations with uh, curators and other, you know, uh, professionals in in the cultural fields, in the arts field. Um, We did uh, a wonderful project that is called What's the Point? And it's a, a documentary about the life of youth in the Point neighborhood. And that documentary was an award-winning piece. Um, It was showcased in many different um, film festivals and and other things. And we started it just as a cry out for another outlet to tell our story. Same experience as the the kids that did the mural. This group of students that I brought into the museum to learn about cultural institutions and hopefully inspire them to take on careers in the arts field. Um, experienced such a difficult, um, you know, um, 
situation in the museum that they felt that they needed to express themselves about what was happening. Mm-hmm. And But the way they, they thought about it was instead of like lashing out and being angry, it was more about, we really want to tell them who we are. Yeah. Mm. You know, so it was the same thing. And so this time around, we did it through video and, um, and they did a beautiful documentary. Um, so, but with that, all of those experiences, I kept on seeing the need of creating a space or um, an opportunity uh, for that particular community that was very close to my heart um, to to not only empower them to tell the story, but also to to empower them to to be okay with who they are right. as a community, who we are as a community, right. and to organize amongst yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time, my idea was not well cooked, but uh, I really knew that I wanted to use arts um, to, to do that, to accomplish that. And um, I, I worked at the museum for eight years. It was a long career there, a long time. And a long time to learn many things. Yeah. But that uh, experience inspired me to go back to graduate school. And um, I did my, my graduate program on, um, you know, um, education, leadership in education, but focusing on uh, cultural uh, education and arts and working with non-traditional settings like museums and neighborhoods and communities and all that. So um, at that time, I also was trying to pitch what it is today, the Punto Urban Art Museum, to pitch it to the PEM. Um, And we were not at the same page. And that was something that they were not, as an, as an organization, as an institution, they were not thinking along those lines. Um, so I transitioned out of the museum and started to work um, as the executive director for Salem Education Foundation. And But through that work, I was doing a lot of work with communities of color in Salem. Uh, a lot of transition was happening in the school system around that time. So I was doing a lot of community organizing. And, um, and, and I started to um, participate as a board member uh, with the organization that is called now North Shore CDC, North Shore mm-hmm. Community Devel- De- Development Co- Coalition. And that is the same organization that I used to um, volunteer right. for when Full I was circle. a teenager. Yeah. Wow. Right, so I wanted to give back because I lived in those apartments. You know, I, I was part of that community. Um, and, um, and yeah, while, while I was on the board, um, you know, I, I brought back the idea of, you know, remember those murals? And at that point, the leadership in the organization was completely different from the, the group that I worked with when I was 19 years old. So they had no idea, no history, nothing. They knew about these paintings that were in the buildings that people liked so much, but they had no background on what, you know, why they were there. So was that the the program that you did with the free pizza and mm-hmm. the arts? Mm-hmm. Was that still sort of going on? It no. was completely. No, it sunsetted. was a one-time thing, and but the murals stayed, right. you know. And uh, <clears throat> so while I was on the board, um, now is fast forwarding close to twenty years, you know, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> this <laughs> I know time <laughs> seems to bend. Yeah, yeah and incredible. then these murals are there, and uh, they're doing um, they're remodeling some things in the buildings, and they're. Um, working on beautifying the neighborhood. And so they took down the, the murals to restore them. And uh, while they were doing that, they, they didn't communicate to the community that they were going to do that. So they started to get calls from 
everybody like saying what are you doing with the murals what's happening and that's when the organization realized oh my god these murals mean something to the community like we had no idea me being on the board i was like oh we really you know i i do have the background and this is what happened and, and i think we really need to be start thinking about how we can engage them through you know doing something similar so one thing led to another and that's and at this point now my brother is a famous muralist in miami and i'm like i have all the tools come on i come from from the museum background this has been my dream and i already have like all the pieces let's do it we just need the money and the resources and right. really <laughs> what we just need is an organization that can provide the infrastructure and it takes a certain person to have that mindset because someone else would say, there's no way I could do this because there's so much. But it sounds like for you, it didn't matter because it, it, it was motivation in. enough to bring the community together in right. a way that was like, going to activate them. And I'm kind of like them. a dreamer like that and kind of naive. So yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, like like we don't need that much money. Um, so and I, and What of course, is money, right. really? <laughs> it's all relationships. That's right. So, so, yeah, so that's how the Punto Urban Art Museum was born. And um, I transitioned from the board to be part of like as a staff of the organization and uh, develop the project um, and, and tell uh, our listeners what's the name of the organization you're referring to now North Shore Community Development this Coalition. is the same yeah mm-hmm. North Shore yeah. CDC mm-hmm. and uh, and it's now it's, uh, yeah, it's going into the third year and it's an amazing beautiful project if you haven't seen it you should stop by the point neighborhood in salem it's so close to downtown it's just like a steps away from from downtown so one of the things that we were hoping with that was to you know combat stereotypes and um and create kind of like a bridge between these two salems because people don't like to talk about that but mm-hmm. there's definitely in my experience there's two different salems um i grew up in a very different salem that um uh, other people probably haven't even seen and uh so now that i navigate both worlds um you know i see the beauty in both and mm-hmm. i see the opportunity in both and i and i feel like you know there's m- many others like me that would like to see those two being uh closer together yeah so um so uh, the hopes is that through this project we can like uh you know, combat all those stereotypes, open the doors and really have not only the mainstream community coming into the neighborhood and getting to know better that community, but also create some uh, opportunity for the for the residents of the neighborhood to also come out and, and connect to the rest of Salem. Do you feel like that sort of the navigation that you're referring to between those two worlds is happening? Are you seeing examples of that? I is am. there, because it's, I mean, I think... I, as someone, I grew up on the North Shore, um, but I only moved to Salem about six years ago. And I do agree that there there may even be three different worlds in Salem. I mean, there's the Latinx community. I think there's there's a um, there's an echelon of wealth and white privilege. And then there's sort of this new wave of younger families that are coming in and sort of gentrification and and a little bit more diversity than say that sort of wealthier older um, generation but sort of a new class of folks that are looking for that hip downtown kind yeah. of thing i would say i don't know i would like to know better how to help you bridge those gaps in mm-hmm. the city but also as a model for our, our listeners about communities where you don't feel safe or comfortable and by safe i don't mean the point is dangerous or right. or Lynn is dangerous or is that I mean safe like 
being confident enough and brave enough and courageous enough to know that you're going to talk to people that are different in this mm-hmm. world. Right. And it's only going to make you a better, more, you know, complex and beautiful person. And I think that I'm curious if you feel like that, that have you been having success? It sounds like you have, you have over the three years of sort of bringing the community to you and vice versa, but are there ways in which we can help you better that mission? It just seems like such an, incredible opportunity right i think that the best way is to is to talk about the project and visit like so uh, like to on just experience yeah yeah <laughs> or experience it as, a, as, a, as individuals you know just uh go in there and, yeah. and experience it for yourself right you know um and then depending on how you feel about it talk about it you know yeah. and invite others but um it might like one thing that i said about my experience uh, in navigating those um, two, two Salem's, uh, or even three now, you're very, very right about that, um, is uh, when I mentioned, kind of like when I first came here, um, one of the things that we were told as kids living in the point was not to go to that town because it was dangerous. Exactly. It was a completely different... Me growing up in Beverly, I remember that. Yeah, so we were told as a community, like the community will protect the youth, and we were told don't co- don't go out of the neighborhood, mm-hmm. don't adventure out, don't go to downtown. People are rude, people are mean, they're going to be, you know, they're going to, there's nothing good that is going to come out of that. And, um, and so early on, we learned to stay in our line like in our place and that really prevented us from connecting with the rest of the of the city and some people get surprised about that like oh really downtown no that was the place to be no 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 but it goes back to your point around otherness right like when it's something you don't know you know we all create these sort of preconceived notions about what is and what isn't um, a culture you feel comfortable in uh, or an environment or a neighborhood etc and I think that that all of it is based on until you experience and know the people there. It's all based on conjecture, right? Right. Like so, right. even though one side saying this, the other side saying that, no one's right until there's a conversation between the right. people. But yeah. if it's not happening, then those two narratives are always gonna um, be like oil and water, kind of mm-hmm. and opposing each mm-hmm. other because it's. Um, you're teaching me so much in the short amount of time that we're talking about this, especially about Salem, because I'm from Peabody, but I've hung out in Salem, you mm-hmm. know, growing up, they're neighbors, and that's what we we're always told, don't go to the point, mm-hmm. but I'm white, mm-hmm. so it makes sense, but it's also, you, me calling myself on my own ignorance, I, it never occurred to me that if you grew up in the point, then that's the safest place for you to be in the community of Salem. Right. So it's all about perception and experience and and Again, going back to storytelling, and, yeah. well, in ignorance, obviously, yeah. lack of exposure. But I think your initial trauma coming here, I'll call it trauma for lack of a better term, because it sounds oh my God. like yes. it was Still very traumatic. Today, yes, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot to work through mm-hmm. there constantly. However, I find that it seems like it's informed your approach moving forward, because you can, like, yes, you're bilingual, but you're also bicultural in a lot of ways. You've you've assimilated to multiple different cultures in your lifetime and you speak all of those languages. Mm-hmm. So it's really informed your approach. I would 
guess, yes. right? Yeah, yeah completely. Like, that's a great observation. Yeah. And it I, goes back to the code switching. Yeah. Right, right. And, and you know, in a way, I saw that um, in so many people that were experiencing that at, um, when I first came in, like other, I, I observed others in my community trying to do what I'm doing today because mm-hmm. I'm not the first one that's, you know, of course, that is going through this experience. And I, I learned from, especially like my mom. My mom came and um, not knowing an ounce of the language, mm. uh, but she was very sure of her skill set and she knew exactly what she, what she wanted to do. And as a, as a woman in her 40s at that time, doing this transition and starting all over again from scratch, like she had to, um, coming from owning her own company and doing all these great things, she's now uh, in a way handicapped. Like she has no, um, you know, n- no network, no uh, financial, you know, support. She's undocumented. And um, and she has a family to to support at the same time. So she's working under the table cleaning. Uh, we used to clean uh, banks. We used to do housekeeping in hotels and banks um, overnight. Um, and um, and then, but she knew what she was like capable of. Mm-hmm. So one day she just adventured in a store. She went in downtown Salem. Uh, at that time, it was um, L.H. Rogers. I don't know if you have the history. Like, that was, like, a big store, like, department. Well, it was mostly, like, formal gowns. Mm-hmm. And that was her specialty for my mom. And um, and so she just walked in, and she said, you know, I'm looking for a job. And uh, and they were doing alterations on that store. It was a boutique. So um, she comes in, and uh, in the alteration room, and the lady's, like, well, do you know how to do a hem of a, like hem and pants? Right. And she's like, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she did it. She did it right, of course. And uh, and they were, okay. Uh, and do you know how to do a zipper? So she, of course, she was a master of doing invisible zippers. Oh, uh, so that's she, no small feat. I know. So. She aced it. Oh. And, uh, and she was hired. They didn't know that she was undocumented. That was one thing that that was a challenge that we needed to face. But she said, I got a job. So now we have to figure out what to do with that. Mm. And um, but I know I'm going to be able to um, do well in there. So one thing led to another. That's another story. Just a <laughs> lot of like interesting things through that experience. But um, but she in a matter of a year, she started just not being trusted with any of the merchandise because she was going to break it or they weren't sure what she was going to do with it, to um, not only being the head of the alterations department without knowing English, but also to um, to then being able to create her own, you know, pieces. Wow. Um, and then the, the, uh, the store moved, transitioned to Newbury Street, and she was like the head in there. It was great. But so I learned from that. I'm like, you know, my mom is amazing. Mm. How am I going to chicken out? I have even more opportunity than her and more skills. I'm learning the language. I'm doing all of these things. You know, I cannot let that, you know, whatever I'm experiencing and preventing me from growing and really like trying to to find opportunities and spaces where I can be my best. Mm. It sounds like you never allowed yourself to be the victim, although 
in a lot of ways you were mm-hmm. and you could have been, mm-hmm. but you took that as motivation just like your mom did. Right. That's that. I think that's a huge lesson for all of our listeners to learn is that, you know, there's a common misconception that people come from other countries because they were suffering there and there's opportunity here. In your case, that was the opposite, and mm-hmm. you've created opportunity for yourselves here, but it really wasn't there to begin with. Right. But I think it's important, especially for our listeners with more of a conventional mindset, to understand that when people come here from another country, they've had an entire life there. They've had success there. They've had relationships that they've left behind. It's not just coming to you know, make money to send home. It's not that easy. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, there's so many experiences within the immigrant experience. Many of us come with some, you know, with, um, you know, as you say, a background. um, And, but also also there's um, a lot of issues that is affecting the, you know, what we see today as the immigrant wave. Um, mm-hmm. And um, many of us are more privileged than others. Mm-hmm. We, uh, even with all of that happened to me and my family, we were very privileged in right. many different ways because mm-hmm. we had a family to come to. Uh, we have some sort of support, at least emotionally. Um, and, um, and and we we came into a community that even though we, we saw um, you know, the differences and how kind of like we w- were not fitting in um, at the beginning, it was a community that is overall welcoming. Mm. Uh, and that doesn't happen in, in many other communities and other no. settings and other experiences. And we're seeing that a lot today. Yes. As you know. Yes, so, unfortunately. So, yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, we, we, uh, we learned from the best and our parents were very courageous to come here and do what they what they did and um and um and kind of like i took their example right so with that in mind as you think about the amplify latinx movement for our listeners can you give them a rundown on um the premise behind the organization um just overall in terms of advocacy right right so um amplify latinx is an organization that serves as the um coalition builder for the for the Latinx community in Massachusetts. Actually, um, can you, forgive me for one second, can you explain what Latinx is for our listeners? Oh my God, yes. it's a controversial term. It it's is. It's an important one, though. I used yes. it the other day, and someone had some things to say about oh, it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's really very new. Yeah. I started to use it just two years ago. So, um, but Latinx um, is a term that has been created and it's been promoted more and more um, in the United States as a term that is more inclusive to mm-hmm. uh, the Latinx experience. And we've been talking about some of those things. There's much more to say about that, but um, but it's, it's basically to be op- uh, inclusive not only to uh, Latinas and Latinos, but uh, the X serves as um, you know LGBTQ and, mm-hmm. and others that don't consider themselves that as part of like uh, being included in those two other terms. In um, in Spanish, you know, we have the female and, and male kind of like uh, terms were right. very specific. So um, the Latinx was created to to be more open uh, in terms of diversity, and we hear a lot about that and the positive side of it is like thank god we needed something like that and finally it's happening and everyone can feel welcomed um what we see uh, hearing from the other side is that that's not a spanish term we already have terms that really define who we are and uh and the x is not um used in spanish Mm -mm. um so 
it doesn't make any sense. So people look at it as almost appropriative in some well, ways. Well, it's the I think it's a, a, the challenge with non-binary people right. where we're very accustomed to the singular first person he she right. versus they right. and mm-hmm. I think it's it's again it's the barriers of coming to terms with what is known and comfortable why do we have to change things we used to write essays with two spaces between right. the lines why but now it's one so what's that nowadays. yeah can't, can't we just be ourselves and it's it's a i think it's an anxiety that people feel for uh otherness in general where when language changes what else is going to change and right i don't understand that so i have to be upset about it instead of pausing and understanding and considering all of those people that aren't included when you speak about polarized, you know, mm-hmm. male-female characters. Anyway, it, it, it's it an important language. It goes along with what I was saying when we first started talking, before we started um, recording, that, um, you know, I call myself an Afro-Latina. I want to make that distinction. So for me, Latinx is inclusive to me as well because I don't, uh, like, Latina only doesn't describe me, you know? Mm, totally. um, so I need to be, um, you know, in a space that is inclusive, that acknowledge who I am as an individual. And to me, that comes with the Afro-Latina. Um, Beautiful example. Yeah. 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 So. It is. And language is so impactful, too. And I, I was curious about what's the effect of, you know, because Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish, but I know that it's gendered. So how does that affect how how cultures communicate with one another mm-hmm. you know like i'm i'm curious well right now with all the changes that is happening like now latin america um is really taking on uh, more of the diversity in terms of the by you know, binary by you know by, by gender or you know just exploring all of the different um you know um ways that you want to express yourself and um, and trying to be inclusive to that. There's mm-hmm. a sector in the community that is doing that. But uh, traditionally, our culture is very conservative. And um, and there's a lot of uh, controversy that is going around that, not only with the term Latinx, but with many other things that come with that. Right. And, um, and so, you know, the younger generations, I feel like I f- are feeling a little more open to that. And... Um, and here in this country, we really, you know, are embracing it, especially right. with the millennials and, and others. And Amplify Latinx, and Amplify, of yes. course, I think is geared towards not just the youth, but strongly towards bringing community engagement and advocacy for leadership development within the community, exactly. correct? Exactly. It came out of the need of um, having a voice at the table. Um, you know, very important, but also to really create a pipeline for leadership representation at all levels in all sectors, and um, amplify um, Latinx uh, is working in creating the uh, next generation of civically engaged Latinx in Massachusetts, and uh, we're working towards you know doing that through um, leadership representation and development, uh, economic mobility, um, c- uh, civic engagement. And that uh, we do it through, um, you know, get out the vote and other, you know, initiatives. Awesome organization. As well as education. But uh, so what we don't do is social services because there's many different organizations already focusing on that. What we want to focus on is transitioning people out of that Mm. and really creating wealth and power. Yes. And we do that through leadership representation. Wow. That's really important. We really need to have our voices 
there, uh, not only, um, you know, in the political sector, but also private, um, you know, in boards and commissions, mm -hmm. um, as well as, you know, um, C-suite, A-suite, um, really high-level positions. And uh, we're doing that. We have a great pipeline of Latinos that are um, ready to, to take on that leadership role. And we are creating opportunities for that and bringing the, the community together under a shared agenda that we can all move forward and uh, be able to, to accomplish. That's amazing. The amount of unification and patience and compassion, understanding for um, trying to respect everyone's experience while unifying them is mm -hmm. a lot. Yes, it is. It's a lot. It's, it's a, again, it's, it's, a, it's a process. Yeah. And we are uh, working together uh, with wonderful partners. We have um, 150 partners, different organizations in Massachusetts, and over 3,000 members. Wow. So, um, and when we did do it great start? Things. It started back in 2012, oh, and it started okay. as Latina Circle, and it was all women empowerment. Oh. Of course, it was by women for women. Of course. Well, women <laughs> are changing and saving the world. So. Right. And then uh, uh, three years ago, uh, yeah, with the elections, mm -hmm. it transitioned into being Amplify Latinx because we needed more representation and more voices. The big news that we teased on last week's episode is that coming up in the spring of this year, uh, Jackie, myself, and Miranda um, Ashleen from Miranda's Hearth are launching the first annual Riveting Broads Summit. Yay! It's <laughs> going to be incredible. Um, you know, a full day summit with breakout sessions and performances and keynote um, speakers. And we would love to have you be a part of our our uh, our maiden voyage right. into wow. the space. What an yes. honor! <laughs> an hour is yes. not enough. It's already time's flown by. And we today. only talked about me coming to this country. I know. Yeah. Well, ha we have to have you back on the segment. But you know what? I really appreciate you sharing that aspect of your story too. Because first of all, I I've just watched you from afar and been in awe of you for years now. Thank not you. just because of your beauty, but because of Mine is everything just because that you're doing. <laughs> no, no but it. if I'm you look kidding. at Rosario, she is like That's the only reason beautiful. I agreed to have you. No, <laughs> no but I, I think you're con you exude confidence in every aspect. And I think it shows, and you're empowering and inspiring so many other. I'm gonna get a little emotional. Oh, thank you. You're so wonderful. <laughs> you are. Thank you you so are. Much. You really, it's a huge inspiration. I love that um, through adversity that you've, oh my God, you've empowered yourself love and you. you've really built a community. And um, yeah, you're gonna change the world. Oh my God. I <laughs> wish I, well, you, you are know, changing we, the world. We, we need a we whole troop behind that. We, we got and one. There's so many of us doing it. So. Yeah. Um, thank you. I really appreciate having an opportunity to spend this time with you and, and sharing a little bit of my story. And I look forward to continue the conversation. Where can people find you um, if they want to follow you, your work, Amplify Latinx, mm -hmm. Coelos? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so that's kind of like a, the best way to start because it has like all my contact information there and my, my connections. But I'm, I'm active on social media. So you can find me on Facebook and um, Instagram, the gram. The, the gram. gram. Slide yeah. into her DMs. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm available, even though I'm uh, kind of like uh, now expanding my my um, geographical reach. Um, I'm working a lot um, out of Boston at mm -hmm. this point. I'm still in the North Shore and doing 
working in North Shore and also developing some interesting initiatives uh, around the arts and culture in the mm. North Shore. So. And if people want to donate to your cause or help move Amplify Latinx forward or, you know, they want to work with Cucuelos mm-hmm. Productions, how do, how do they do that? They do it by connecting with me or going onto the website. Um, there's information on the Amplify Latinx website uh, about our programs and um, our mission and ways of um, supporting what we do. Awesome. Thank you so much for making the time to be Thank here you. with us today. Thank, Thank you for you. having me. This was fun. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For listeners. Oh, uh, listeners, please oh. like and subscribe and leave a comment or two. If you have a t- the time, it always helps with our ratings. We are so grateful um, for all of you. Mm. And I'm grateful for you, Jackie. And I'm grateful for you, Molly. <laughs> and Gracias. you, Rosario. Gracias. Gracias. Hasta luego.